We've been doing this little series on what it means to live as disciples of Jesus in the kingdom of God. Um, and we've just kind of been hitting different aspects of what that looks like. It's not been sort of, we're going through systematically through a book. We're going to be doing that again in a little while. Um, but it's just, so I'm just going to move this. Um, and just hitting some important things about what it means for us to be followers of Jesus in the city, in seeing the kingdom advance through us. And what I want to do today is speak a little bit about the church. I think the church gets a bad rap in our day, and some t- uh, maybe rightly so. Um, but I w- maybe today I just want to elevate the church a little bit to say why the church is important, why... What we do is important, why this is not just, oh man, it's Sunday afternoon, I've got to, oh, I've got to drag my feet and go to church again. Uh, maybe change that understanding a little bit. You know, my, part of my story is when I became a follower of Jesus way back in 1981, God did something very powerful in my life. But if it hadn't been for the church, I would have just been one of those that floundered and died on the sidewalk. But actually because of the church, because of the local church, because of people that helped me stay connected, grow, and become, hopefully, something good in God's kingdom. And so I love the church. I love the church when it's broken, when it's healthy, when it's doing well, when it's, people are struggling. I love the church because Jesus loves the church. And so I want to talk a little bit about it right now. So the, the Greek word for church, does anyone know what it is? Brian's not here. Who's, who said that? Ecclesia, which means the gathering of those that have been called out. It's the called out ones who form new community. That's what the church means. The church is not a building. The church is not an organization. The church is not an event. The church is people, a group of people called out, called out of what? called out of the ways and the life of the world into new community centered around the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. But so often we, how many of you said today we're going to church? We all do it. But actually, technically, that's not right. Technically, we are the church. We're going to go gather. So I'm not saying don't say that. But I think in our heads... What it means is we see the church something other than a group of people under the, the leadership of Jesus working life out together in God's great kingdom as we live in our world. So this community is, Jesus says in, in the gospel of John, he says, he speaks about his people, he says, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. So we are the ecclesia, the called out ones. Those who have said we've centered our lives on following Jesus, we are the called out ones that have formed new community that exists back into the space that we came from. We're meant to be lighthouses in this world that we come from. In, in Matthew chapter 5, it says we're a city set on a hill. So we're in the world, but we're not of it. Our values are not of the world. Our values are those that are, that are being put into us by the Spirit that come from Jesus. And somehow if we begin to change our framework, our way of thinking around those things, I think it changes the way we interact and the way that we live together. And I'll get more to that in a moment. But we are a people. It's not a building or whatever. The way that the church is formed, 
I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 16. It's a beautiful interaction that Jesus has with his disciples. Um, Jesus has been doing, now we're talking about Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago, and he's been doing all sorts of things and healing the sick and driving out demons and helping people and having a go at the religious leaders, all sorts of things. And it says this in verse 13 of chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. What does the word disciple mean? Student, apprentice, that's what it means. You don't, you're not a Christian, and when you become more mature, you become a disciple. The moment you become a follower of Jesus, you now become a disciple, a student, an apprentice to Jesus. We are learning from Jesus, the things he said, the way he lives, the way he does things. That's what we are learning as apprentices to Jesus. So he says to his apprentices, to his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do people say I am? That's what he's basically asking. And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets, Old Testament sort of fellows. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And I honestly believe it's the question of our time that we need to ask of ourselves, who do I, who do you say Jesus is? It doesn't matter who your parents said Jesus is. It doesn't matter if your grandparents were, you know, circuit-riding preachers, hellfire and brimstone. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day is, who do you say Jesus is? That's the, the linchpin of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And Simon Peter, impetuous Peter, one who wanted to walk on water and cut off ears and all sorts of things, he said, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ. That's what he's saying. Messiah, Old Testament, Christ, New Testament word. The promised one, the anointed one, the one that we've been longing for through the centuries. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And it carries on more about the keys of the kingdom. Jesus got a play on words there. He says, you are Peter, which is Petros, little pebble. You are a little pebble, Peter. But on this Petra, this rock, this Petra, this giant boulder of the revelation of who I am, upon that, I will build my church. If you come out of Roman Catholicism, as I do, and, and I was, there was my life and I studied, Roman Catholicism has said the church is built upon Peter the Rock. Actually, that's not what the text says. The text says, you are Petros, little pebble, but on Petra, big rock, this rock of revelation of who I am, on that, the church will be built. Church is not built on great programs. Church is not built on great production. Church is not built on a great kids' ministry, a great worship service. Church is built upon the revelation of who Jesus is to us. And as we gather here today, and in any gathering, there are those who say, yes, that's what I believe, and there are those who say, I'm looking, I don't know. All are welcome. But the building block is the sense of these who have declared Jesus to be Christ, Lord, Messiah, to their lives. Is that right? Is that pretty straightforward? Um, doesn't mean anybody can't come into our gatherings, but the gatherings don't make the church. The church of those who have chosen to set their faces to following Jesus, 
as a disciple. Um, 1 Corinthians 3.1, it says, There's no other foundation that can be laid for this church other than Jesus. In Ephesians, it speaks about the apostles and prophets laying foundations with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Point is, at the basis of everything is Jesus Christ. Messiah, Christ, the anointed one. The church has other names. I'm not going to look them all up, but body of Christ, the bride, the army, the household, the, it just goes on and on. There are all these words that describe this people called the church and different ways that it functions. And it's wor- that's worth a study. Each of those is worth a talk. One of them is that we are God's special possession. In other words, that we are God's family. One that's been very dear to me. When I found the church, I found family. Father, we got a new father. So beautiful. The body, Christ is the head. We are the body. Beautiful images of this church. But here's, for me, if you can take this away today, I'll be, I will be deeply, deeply content. Why does the church exist? Why did Jesus breathe through the Spirit, this, this group of people, into existence? And why are there still people being added? And what is the purpose? Why? And for that, we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians is a beautiful letter written by Paul, the church in Ephesus. And he unpacks so much about the church in this letter. It's worth reading. Uh, it's, it's very short. We actually preach through it. It's a beautiful, beautiful letter. But in Ephesians 3... And I'm going to read from, I'll start reading, maybe from verse 7. I think I gave you some that I'll read from verse 7. Paul saying, I became a servant of this gospel, this good news of the kingdom of God, by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone, and sorry, the word Gentile here just means non-Jew here. Anybody that wasn't Jewish, because obviously Jesus came through a Jewish framework. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, for which, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. So here there's a mystery that's been kept hidden in God. His intent was that now, through the church... I want you to see that. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church has eternal purpose. It wasn't just a thought up idea at one point. God had this plan for a people that he meant it to be the, the, the Jews, his people, that Kind of they, they missed some of it, and he puts this into the church, and he says, my goal is that you will demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God to this world that you live in. That's why the church exists as one of its main pillars, that we demonstrate to the world, the world that we come out of. Remember, we were called out of the world to be a, a new community around Jesus that goes back into this world to show people what that looks like. Christ is, is the wisdom of God, one of the verses says. So we go there to show the world what this manifold wisdom, this revealed wisdom of God is like. It's Jesus. That's the reason the church exists. So when we reduce it 
to nice programs and bingo evenings and all those things, which all have their place. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do them, but that's not the reason the church exists. The church exists to live into the world the wisdom, the life of Jesus Christ, which means we need to be shaped by that life so that we've got something to live, so that we are a city set on a hill, that we're not hidden, our light is shining. Is all of this making sense? Was, is it? hope so. The, you know, the wonder of that is, who makes up this church that, we've been, that we're talking about? Speak up. We do, okay. So that means you are important. You have an eternal destiny, an eternal purpose to show the manifold wisdom of Christ through your life into the place where you go. Because if the church is made up of people, then each one of us, each of the components of that church, of that family, of that body, of that army, of that bride, whichever term you want to use, we have a responsibility upon us to live Jesus' life in our world, to show the world what Jesus is like. How do you think the church is doing? Huh? How, how do you think the church is doing? I'd like to use the S word and say pretty itty. I don't think the church is doing a great job. I mean, there are places where it is. There's times that it has. But I think we're in a rough spot. I think the church in the Western world is in a rough spot. And to cover the rough spot, we do more events. We do more activity to look like we're doing well. When actually the way we will know that we're doing well is the way that we live out there. And I'll talk about its tasks in a moment. How we do out there. That's going to be the test. Not how many people we can gather in a meeting and have a whatever. Again, not that that's un unimportant, we shouldn't do that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, what is the purpose? Is this making sense? All right. So, it means you. The church is the church, not a social club, even though we do social things. It's the church. Um, there's a way to become part of it, and we, we, you know, we need to receive new birth or regeneration, redemption, salvation, adoption, whatever term you would like to use. That's how we gain access to the church. It's not by signing on a dotted line. It's not by paying a certain amount of money. It's not by turning up on a certain amount of Sundays. That's not how you gain access to the church. The way we gain access to the church is by, Jesus said, Here's, here's the gospel of this kingdom that's available to you. If you will repent, the word repent, metanoia, means change the way you think about things. If you change the way that you think and you would believe who I am, that's your access point. It's that simple. It's not difficult, but that's the way. For, I mean, in some ways, it is difficult to get some people to get your mind around to change the way that you think. It's sometimes really, really difficult, but that's what we are encouraged to do, Repent. Change the way you think about things, the way you think about life, the way you think about yourself, the way you think about sin, the way you think about Jesus. You've got to change some things around so that you can believe. In Ephesians, it says we are saved by grace through faith. Do you know that one, that verse? Faith is like a pipe. It's grace. We receive grace, this free gift of God, charis. It's a free gift of God. Ultimately, it's a person, Jesus, that we receive. We receive it through this pipe of faith. That's how you gain access to this thing called the church. Now, the church has two major components to it. I'm being very technical. Is this all right? 
but I think it's a good reminder. The one is that there's the universal church, the church past, present, and future that's included all of those who have linked their lives to God in Jesus. And includes the Abrahams and that who didn't know Jesus themselves, but they believed. And, were, and were, they were credited. They were said, you're in right standing with God. It's the universal church. That's at this church. And the, the church that meets here at midday. And the church that meets here in the morning. And the church that meets up the road. And the church that meets in Indonesia. And the church that meets in Japan. And the ch- for all time. That's the universal church. Is that right? And then there's the local church. This is us, a little body, a family of believers working it out together or supposed to be working it out together. So take this idea. When you were born as a human being, and you, yeah, you were born, Pearl's the newest. Is Pearl the newest? So here comes Pearl. The moment Pearl, and we're taken from the moment of birth, is Pearl a member of the human race? Is she a Fully-fledged member of the human race. Yes. Okay. And then Aaron and Laura said to Pearl, welcome to the human race. Here's a little diaper bag. There's some diapers, some milk, and a little what formula, whatever. And off you go. Have a nice life. What will happen? Die. That's the word. Die. That's the word. Die. You know, Pearl, will, the baby will die because the, in God's creative wisdom... When he created the universe and he created humanity and he's got this beautiful humankind, he created families so that a baby is born into a family because that family nurtures that child to wholeness. Is that right? That's the way it's meant to be. Now, we know along the way our world is messed up and there are many kids that don't have that privilege. But that's how it's meant to be. Well, the same on the spiritual. When you get born again, when you receive new birth in Christ, you become a fully-fledged member of the universal church. But you are a babe. And at that point, what we do in church is say, here's a Bible, go to this, and off you go. And what happens to most of those new babes in Christ? They die. You're meant to be in a family. The local church, so that you can be nurtured and grow it, and people, people are going to be with you and help you and shape you. That's what happened to me. I remember getting invited to this barbecue a week after I became a Christian. Found out years later that barbecue had been arranged specifically to include me. How amazing was that? And people came alongside you. Come join me here. Come do this. Let me show you how to pray. Let me how to do this. That's what the church is meant to be as we raise and encourage one another to become what God wants us to be. Um, that's why when you re- read that text, text from, Acts 42, from Acts 2, it speaks about this picture of the early church. It's such an amazing picture of life together. New people coming in, people being raised and stirred and being sent out. It's an amazing picture of the church. We need both, the universal and we need the local. We need to belong. Remember we did hi- uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs one, a few weeks ago? You know, food and air and whatever, but like second up is belonging. The need to belong. So how does this church function? How do we function together? And I'm leaving bits out just, just because it's hot and it's a lot. But how do we function? We function in two main ways. We gather and we scatter. We come and we go. Is that right? 
So when we gather, that's the Acts 2, the church gathers, we come together. Today, we have gathered as the church here to worship together, to be taught, to have some fellowship, to gather around the Lord's table, to meet new people, to do all sorts of things. We have gathered. All right? But when we leave here, and most of our life is that we are scattered. We go into our world to interact with our world, to be not weird people, but to be regular people led by the Spirit of God under the leadership of, the, of Jesus to interact with our world. We're not of that world. We have a new value system, new everything, but we go and engage that world. We are more kind. We are more loving. We are more ex- all those things that we're meant to be in the world. That's the church. Trouble is, we, those two just be, get so blended that we just look like the world. We're actually meant to be different. You, you, I'll leave it at that. We're meant to be different, but engaging. We're meant to be so loving that people want to be with us, and so kind that people say, what's happening? And so generous. Wow! That's how it's meant to be. But we embrace the things of the world more than we should. Um, And those gathering, you can't just be those who gather. We also have to be those who go. We can't just be those who go. We also have to gather. Because, you know, I meet people. I met a person when I first came to the United States. And I sat talking with them. And he said, he was a fairly high-profile person. And he said, I love Jesus. I can't stand the church. And I, I heard my mouth say, you know, have you heard that expression when it bypasses your brain? Just goes straight to your mouth. I heard my mouth say, you actually then have a problem with Jesus. Because Jesus loves the church. It's what he gave his life for. It's what he's wanting to use. It's why he's demonstrating everything. It's through the church. Jesus loves the church. So we need both. The gathering of the church together and then investing in the world. Jesus. Is that okay? Um, In the gathering part is where we have these sorts of activities. When you come together, each one has something to share. It doesn't mean everyone always shares, but we come ready to share. A prayer for someone, an encouragement or whatever. It's where iron sharpens iron. Or it's where the trowel comes to the stone that needs to be cut off so that it can be fit well into the wall because we are living stones being built in. That's what happens in the gathering. It's my famous text from Hebrews, the, the five, let us not give up meeting together. Let us encourage one another. Let us spur one another on. Let us hold firm to that which we believe. All these amazing things. It's where we experience the great one another's. Remember we spoke about that a few weeks ago? Well, we love one another, we care for one another, we encourage one another, we spur one another. All the one another's happen in the gathering with the body. Where we help raise kids together. We help possibly people die well because we do it as family. And then we go out and we live encouraged, full, hopefully, of the grace of God to interact with our world. Now, I was writing something this morning and I wrote this down and if it, it offends you, please forgive me, but this is how I saw it. As Christians, when we interact with our world, the world is so hostile to faith that often we feel like we're getting our butts kicked on a fairly regular basis. So I wrote this down. In the gathered, this, you have your butt kicked by your fellow believers that are helping shape you and mature you and grow you and say, don't do that, you know? In the gathered, you have your butt kicked. 
so that you are prepared to have your butt kicked while on the outside. Because you see, if you get it right on the inside and you're secure and whole, and you know when you go out there and they kick your butt, you're okay. You're not going to falter and faint and say, oh, no. You've been bolstered. You've been cared for. You've been lifted up. Your identity is secure. Church as leadership, I'm not going to go there. Come to the What are the assignments of the church? I've got four. They're multiple. I've given four here that I think are important for us to understand why. In this, doing this manifold wisdom of God, four things. One, we, are, we make disciples who know how to make disciples. The Great Commission is go into all the world and have a jolly good time. Is that what it says? Go into all the world and... No, it says, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, of all peoples, all people groups. Baptize them. When they choose to follow Jesus, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit into a Trinitarian understanding of faith demonstrated by baptism in water. And then teach them to obey Jesus. And I'll be with you, Jesus says. That's one of our great assignments is to make disciples who make disciples. So that means as we are disciples, we live as disciples, we are growing as disciples, we're becoming more and more like Jesus, little by little, day by day, so that as we go out, we make disciples, they learn. Oh, wow. So like Paul could say, follow me as I follow Jesus. Have you read that text? What's he saying? He's not saying follow me. He's saying, no, I'm following in the ways of Jesus. You can learn from me. Right now, I have this quote, I'm following Dallas as Dallas follows Jesus. I'm learning a whole lot of stuff because someone is further down the road in their following of Jesus. We, we do that with one another. Um, it's in that making of disciples and growing as disciples, we've, we experience spiritual transformation and wholeness and maturity and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we become somebody. A picture of that somebody's Galatians 5, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, that we're kind and we're gentle and we're generous and we're patient and all those things that come out of there. Joyous. So we make disciples. Number two, we are witnesses to the life and the love and the grace and the truth of Jesus in our world. Remember in Acts 1 8, Jesus says to these disciples, he says, Wait. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then go, be my witnesses. Witnesses to what? To my life, my resurrection power. That's what I want you to be witnesses to. Thirdly, one of our psalms is to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's why these times are important, which we worship. So now we're going to have another time of worship. There's an opportunity for us together to worship. A.W. Tozer, who's one of, one of my favorite authors, maybe my favorite author, he always used to say, if you can't worship here, what do you think you're going to do in heaven? What do you think that is going to happen afterwards? No, this is the preparation, so we learn to worship here. And how do we learn to worship? What, is our, what do we see about worship? Well, we go look at the Psalms, and that, that was the, the people of God's songbook, and we read what they do, and there's a lot of demonst you know, demonstrative stuff in there, which our Western world doesn't particularly like. We like to stand with our hands in our pockets and hum with a piece of grass in their mouth or something. But actually, worship is something that's quite loud and quite hmm, effervescent. We see that if we go look in the book of Revelation, we just see that life that comes. So we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Have you noticed that? You offer your body as a living sacrifice. So worship. And then fourthly, to rule and reign in life. Now, if you read Genesis 1, 
when, when God created man and woman, he said to them, go into this world, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, rule, reign. That mandate has continued through us to the church to go and live in a way that we extend the kingdom of God, which is the rule and the reign of God, because we are co-heirs with Christ. I've got another two minutes and we're done. Are you, the one thing I just want you to see, if you can't even remember all of that stuff, is this one thing. The church is not some poofy little thing that is a discard and a bad idea. The church is at the very center of what Jesus wants to do. See, Jesus is advancing his kingdom. He announced that the kingdom of God is here, available for you, and it's through the church that that kingdom is moving. The church is not the kingdom. The kingdom is so much bigger than the church. But it's through the church that Jesus is showing what it's like and, the, and how people live and go out. I want you to see that you're important. I want you to see that we are important to Jesus and to the purposes of God. This is not like, ah, I don't want to go on Sunday. I'd rather lie in bed. No, there's value in going. Why? Even in the heat. Should we tell you an African story? Should we tell an African story, Linda? In Africa, people sometimes walk for hours in the heat to go to the gathering, and they sit on poles for hours, because there they preach for hours, and they sing for hours. And then they walk back in hours in the blazing heat, because it's important. Now, I'm not saying we should do that. I'm just saying we're here for an hour, and it's a little sweaty. No one's dying. All right. I'd like a cooler place. I'm looking for a cooler place. Not cool in terms of aesthetics. I'm looking for a cooler place. <laughs> it's really important. I want to close with this. What's the future of the church? I'm giving you a big ecclesiology summary. And turn to the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. And um, I'll read a few verses from chapter 21. Now remember, Revelation is a, is a revelation. It's a, John was caught up and he had this vision of things. So this is what he's writing. This is what he sees. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That's a picture of the church. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's the future of the church. It's ruling beautifully where bad and sin, all that is done away with, and there's a beautiful picture. We as the church, as the people of God, as that bride that is longing for a bridegroom, we join in with the Spirit. At the end of chapter 22, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. That's our heart's longing. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Make things right. Come restore things as they are meant to be. Restore the heavens and the earth. Make them new. Make pain go away and tears go away and sickness go away and death go away. All those things are going to be made right in that day. And our heart's cry is as we live in our world as the people of God is, Jesus, would you come? Because when we see kids on the street, orphans, and we see refugees 
and all sorts, immigrants that are, all those things that are happening. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Would you come and please make things right? When we see injustice in our world, would you come, Jesus, and make things right? When we see people being sold into slavery, Jesus, would you come and make things right? When we see women crushed and sat upon and, and discriminated against, Jesus, would you come and make things right? Come, Lord Jesus, come. So I want to give you three charges here. The one is if you don't know Jesus yet, it's, it's about saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. Would you come and change me? I'm welcome. If you are already in the church, what I've discovered, and I spoke at a church this morning in Camarillo, is that wherever you go, there are hurt, damaged people in the church. The church has done a terrible job. And they are hurting people through the church, through interpersonal relationships, through all sorts of things. We can't afford to live in that space. We have to ask Jesus to come make things right in our lives and get where we can get relationships healed or get healed ourselves and say we want to be healed so that we can go about this great thing that Jesus is wanting to do through his people. Please begin a journey of getting healed. Well, however that looks for you, that's a whole nother talk. We touched on the last week on emotional healing, of which I was so tired I can't remember much of what I spoke about. Um, but let's get healed. Let's get on the process of healing. The world needs us to be the people of God. Not the judgmental people. It needs us to be the loving, kind, whole, healed people. And then let's participate in the mission of God. Let's participate wherever we can in the mission of God, whether that's going to, as I heard this morning, a doctor going to Indonesia on a medical mission, whether that's you going into your world in your office and meeting with people. Maybe it's working with a, a group that's dealing with um, sex trafficking or maybe it's whatever, immigrants or whatever. Find a way to participate in God's mission that flows out of the life of his people. Is that right? It's really hard for us to find things to do together. Everyone is so busy. So find a way. Find something. But it's not that or this. It's both. Can we pray? Jesus, I think you're absolutely amazing. I think you're wonderful. I'm so glad that you set your affection upon me and put your hand upon me and said, come follow me. I'm so thrilled that somehow that you invested in me the strength to say, yes, I will. And I'm so overwhelmed that you chose to put me in a new family of people. You're amazing and your church is amazing. And you look at your church and you're amazed and you are overwhelmed with love and kindness toward your church. Sometimes we only see the bruises and the bumps. We only see the negatives and the hurts. But you see what you are birthing and what you are bringing about and you are totally thrilled by that. Help us to see that as well.
As we sit here today, each one of us in a different space, help us to respond to you. Maybe our little prayer could be, Lord, what is it that you require of me? And we can respond to that in our own way. What is it that you require of me? We do know that the, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, is a, is a wonderful way to, to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done. The, the, the price paid on the cross for our brokenness and our sin. He, you said, Jesus, that when we come to the table and we break bread and we, we drink of the cup, that we should do this in memory of you. It's your broken body. It's your shed blood. And we do it in remembrance of you. We remind ourselves of this great thing that we participate in, this kingdom life. We're so grateful. So if you want to take a moment, or you can come straight away. Come, take of the bread or the gluten-free if that's where you're at, and of the cup. And let's go, come back to your, your spot and just sit for a moment and ponder, think, and then I'll pray, and then um, Becca will lead us in another song or two of worship. Is that all right? So please feel free to come, but just think through some of these things. It's really good to do that.